turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. And once again, we come to the subject of marriage and divorce. We're actually, for those of you that are visiting here for the first time, we've been studying the book of Matthew, and uh, we've just parked a little bit uh, and taken a few side trips here on, uh, uh, at Matthew 19, uh, which God's uh, Lord Jesus teaching concerning marriage. And uh, I think every... Uh, Sunday, the last uh, three or four Sundays that we've been talking about this, I've made this statement that I hate divorce because God hates divorce, and so that's the title of our um, uh, message this morning, and this is the passage where we, we uh, see where uh, God says this. And we, uh, someone might be saying, you know, at this time, say, well, Pastor, haven't you said enough? Uh, well, the Bible has more to say about this subject, and I, my hope is that you want to know what the Bible says. Uh, when I was a teacher, before I became a pastor, I was teaching for 16 years, and one of the most important tools that I used to help my students was repetition. Uh, today, you may hear some things we've already spoken about in our previous messages, but these are absolutely uh, crucial principles to get a hold of what uh, of what we're talking about, and if we're going to be obedient to God's word in this area, we need to know what God's word says. There's probably not a person here today that's not been in some way touched by the effects of divorce in their family, whether it be directly in your own life or indirectly by what has taken place in the life of loved ones. And we're not here to argue and to debate what we think should happen when people are married or if there are problems. Uh, we're here to see what God's Word says. And I hope you have a hunger for God's Word. And you want to know what He has to say about this subject. And so let's look together for a few moments here and let's look at our text in Malachi chapter 2 and beginning in verse 11. Malachi chapter 2 and beginning in verse 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this ye have done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not 
he make one? And yet had, or yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Again, this morning I want to say I hate divorce, and again, I believe I'm in pretty good company when I say that. No matter what your view of divorce is, I hope you'll understand how God feels about it. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16 clearly says that God hates putting away. And that expression there, putting away, means divorce, and God hates it. Now, I want to quickly remind you that God, nor myself, hate the divorcee. God does not hate you if you've been divorced. God does not hate that person, but he hates this putting away. And I want you to just think about that. You know, God hating, that, that sounds kind of uh, uh, foreign, maybe, to some people. Uh, think, you know, God hates? I thought God was a God of love. Well, the Bible is very clear to us that God does hate some things. We notice that in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 31, God hates the worship of false gods. He hates the worship of false gods. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. God says he hates the worship of false gods. We are to worship him and him only. In Proverbs chapter 6, in verses 16 through 19, it tells us that God hates seven things. Uh, we need to look at these things sometimes and ask ourselves, are any of these things ever in my life? Uh, we need to know these things because they're often the root of the broken marriages that are taking place. A proud look. It's an attitude that overvalues self and undervalues others. A lying tongue. God says far more about the abuse of the tongue than most other sins. And oh, how we must be careful in what we say. A hand that sheds blood. You know, a murderer has no consideration of the preciousness of life, and that is that what God hates. Isn't it amazing that uh, today, that after someone uh, has killed and the murderer is brought to trial, then the murderer's life is considered to be precious. And yet God's word teaches us he's to forfeit his life because of this terrible sin. God hates a heart that deviseth wickedness. The heart is desperately wicked and what we need is to confess to God what we have in our minds and in our hearts and then perhaps we won't say the awful things that we often say. We need a daily cleansing of our hearts and our minds. And then it says here that God hates feet that are swift to destruction or to do evil. When the heart... Uh, where the heart goes, the feet will follow. He hates a false witness. And again, God deals with, that, with what we say. And it's not uncommon today for people not to speak the truth in an attempt to cover up their own sinful hearts. And then he hates one that sows discord among the brethren. This is probably one of the most harmful sins to the life of a home and to a church. 
uh, this kind of person might be in your home or here in this church, and there uh, is a possibility they may be sitting next to you. My friend, cause, causing trouble between family members or brothers and sisters in Christ is something that God hates. And let us not be guilty of saying prideful, harmful, hurtful, divisive things that will cause our homes and our church to be broken up. And then we notice that God uh, hates some other things and other lists that He gives to us in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. God hates evil and pride and arrogance and evil behavior and perverse speech. God hates sin against other people, according to Isaiah 61 and verse 8. He hates the robbery for burnt offering. God hates the worship of idols, according to Jeremiah 44 and verse 4, to serve other gods. Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. And then, as we look here in our text here, God hates divorce. Malachi 2 and verse 16. Now let me give you some background to this particular chapter. You, some would say, oh, this doesn't, appear, uh, th- doesn't apply to us. Uh, uh, this is an Old Testament passage. It applies to uh, God's relationship to Israel. But I believe the, the principle certainly can apply to us. And I think it's evident that if you understood what I read in this passage, God is very upset with His people. Uh, really, there are two sections here. The uh, section concerning God's covenant. The problem here is the Jews have broken their covenant with God Himself. Uh, God has established a covenant with the nation of Israel. Part of that covenant was a principle of separation. And the Jews were to be a separate people. Uh, they were not to intermarry with the heathen. Uh, that was part of the national covenant that God had made with them. And if you look at those verses, it clearly says the problem was that the Jews began to intermarry with foreign wives. They had become unfaithful to the national covenant that God had set up with the nation of Israel. And that began as God had previously warned Israel, when you move into the land, if you do not destroy the inhabitants of the land, you're going to be in danger of following their gods. This happened repeatedly as Israel went into different lands and they accepted the gods of that land. And then the the second section is verses 12 through 16, where God, through Malachi, gives the message that the Jews had broken their covenant with their wife. God indicates here that he hates divorce. And part of the reason that he hates divorce is that he witnessed the vows that were made between the husband and the wife. Whether they were a set of formal vows that were like a marriage ceremony or just verbal vows made between a man or a woman. God was a witness to those vows, those promises. And I want to remind us this morning that marriage is a wonderful God-given arrangement uh, when you marry, marry according to His will and according to His word. You know, a good marriage takes work. It doesn't just happen. You have to both be committed to make the marriage work. And when you look, uh, or you took those vows, you stood uh, before those who came to your wedding, please understand that God heard those vows and God holds us much more accountable for those vows than we would, uh, than any human uh, uh, being or any other person would hold, uh, hold us to. You see, taking vows before God is a serious matter. And it should never be entered into 
lightly. Now I want you to notice three things about marriage with me this morning. First of all, God's rules for marriage. God's rules for marriage. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First of all, we're going to ask the question, what constitutes marriage? What constitutes marriage? Let me say very quickly here, very emphatically, marriage is not living together. Marriage is not living together. I know that's what our society has, uh, was, has accepted in many, many cases. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is a very profound passage of Scripture, and we need to take uh, and get a hold of it. I want you to notice verses 15 through 17 uh, to begin with in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Now whether married or unmarried, you need to be very, very cautious about this. Because if we are unfaithful to the arrangement that God has for us, and we commit sin, the sin of our immorality outside the marriage union, we have sinned against our own body. Paul says that every sin that we commit is on the outside. But there's one sin that has an effect on our body, our soul, and our spirit. It's the intimate act of marriage, and that is the physical union. Paul says we need to be very careful in that way. Now, verse 16 here, he talks of one being joined to a harlot and becoming one body. And notice what he says here. They just become one body. In the act of physical union, two become one flesh. But in Scripture, when you get married, it's not just joining of two bodies in a physical act, but it's the joining of the body, soul, and spirit. The very fiber of both lives get joined into one. And listen, that is what makes marriage such a challenge. Because you are taking two people with two family backgrounds, two philosophies of life, two directions of life, and you're bringing them together. And if you realize that marriage is one man, one woman for life, then you realize that it's a great challenge. But that's what God expects. Marriage is more than just a physical, uh, physical union of a man and a woman. So what then is marriage? Well, notice that a marriage is a commitment made before God. It's a commitment you make to each other personally. It's a commitment made with the approval of your parents. It's a commitment made publicly. Uh, we talked about uh, the need for witnesses, and when we talked about a covenant in our Sunday school uh, class and talking about Joshua, we talked about covenants. Uh, weddings are a place where you do it publicly and you, you have witnesses. Of final, and then it's finalized by the physical act of marriage. It's a commitment finalized physically. But it's not just living together. Just living together. Well, uh, I'm tired of you today, so I'm just going to leave. You know, that's what you can do when you just live together. You get tired of each other, you just 
go another way. Go live with someone else. But not in marriage. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Now notice some basic principles of marriage. Some basic principles of marriage. Uh, Marriage is monogamous. One man, one woman. Uh, It's heterosexual. It's a man and a woman. It's faithfulness. It's God wants you to be faithful to one another. And then it's permanent. It's one man, one woman for life till death do us part. And then even as we read in Malachi there, it's a godly seed that's produced. God's principle of creation is uh, is that like produces like. If you want godly children, then you need to be godly. You can't say, well, do as I say, not as I do. If you want godly children, you need to be godly. Then I want you to notice it's also a teaching picture, picture. Your children should know something about Christ's love for the church by watching you men love your wives. Men should learn, or children should learn something about the church when they watch mom in the home. So it's a teaching picture. And then it's a teaching place. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and how we're to teach our children the principles of God's word. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6. Again, of bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. The home should be the primary place of teaching. Don't just depend on someone else to do the teaching. Now, others will help you, but this is the primary place of teaching. Those are some basic principles of marriage. Now, notice a biblical example. There's a wonderful picture given to us in the Old Testament, and I believe it's a part of God's rules. It's a picture that's given to us. We talked about it a little bit last week. It's given to us in the book of Hosea. It's one of the minor prophets. Now, Hosea did an incredible thing, and that was he married a woman by the name of Gomer. Now, it wasn't that her name was incredible, but that he married this woman, and God told Hosea to marry this woman, Gomer, and in the process of their marriage... She ran off and she played the role of a harlot. She was unfaithful. Now, unfortunately, in the day in which we live, and even in some of the Bible-preaching churches in our country today, someone would say, well, Hosea had every right to divorce her. She had been unfaithful. But what did God tell Hosea to do? God told Hosea to go out and to get her. Hosea went and he worked to reconcile and restore his marriage. And I believe the scriptures are consistent in this area. If you have a difficult marriage, it is not God's will to say, well, you deserve someone else. You deserve to leave that person behind and go and get yourself a different wife or husband. No. God's will is not to get a divorce. I believe God's will is for you to work hard to restore and to reconcile to that individual. Now, we've talked about some of this later, and we 
May will talk about some more of it next week, the Lord willing. Well, someone might ask, well, how can that be done? Especially if their partner has left them. I, I, they just left me. I, I didn't have any choice. I, didn't, I couldn't do anything. Now, I won't develop all of these points completely because they could be messages in themselves and we could park here for a long, long time. We'll never get done with Matthew. But uh, let me just give you some steps to consider. First of all, spend time seeking after God. You know, so many times people will get in a difficult time and they'll just have a pity party and they'll, they'll uh, bawl their eyes out and they say, oh, life isn't fair and I can't do anything right and, I, and this is just not fair for me. And, uh, and, they just, and so they say, well, how about if I go talk to my neighbor or my friend? They'll understand. And so they go and talk to someone else about it, and they think, no, you're, you're right. Uh, you, he doesn't deserve you, or she doesn't deserve you. You need to leave that marriage. And they give you some bad advice. And what we need to be doing is seeking after God. God wants us to know what His Word says. Now, don't go looking for a Scripture. Now I can see if I can find a Scripture here that will excuse what I want to do. I'm sure you'll be able to find some verse in some place in the Bible that says, you should do this. Don't look for Scripture that will excuse you or the reasons, because really, they're not there. But look for Scripture to strengthen your relationship with God. That needs to be first. And then be committed to a vow of no divorce and no remarriage. Realize that what God says, that God's design for marriage is one man, one woman, for life. Be committed to that. And then do not begin dating someone else. If you're uh, in a marriage relationship and things aren't going right and someone leaves, don't start dating someone else. Dating clearly says, I'm really more interested in meeting my own needs than I am reconciling my former marriage relationship. Number four, clear your conscience. Make sure you've confessed your sin before God and you're seeking to honestly and willingly do His will in your life. Number five, fully forgive your partner. Again, someone might say, well, I can't forgive my partner for what they've done. I just can't forgive it. It's too horrendous of a sin. I could never forgive them. God says you should forgive them. And you should fully forgive them. That person uh, who says those kind of things needs to get a grasp of the principle of forgiveness from God's perspective. Did you deserve salvation? Did you deserve Christ dying on the cross for you? No. Not one of us here today is good enough to deserve that. And yet Christ went to Calvary's cross to pay our sin penalty and forgive us of whatever sins we have committed. Forgiveness is possible. God forgave you and God instructs us in His Word to forgive others just as He forgave us. And then strengthen communication with parents. Now, that may mean uh, your spouse's parents as well. Uh, that is, if they're still living and so forth. But uh, I know these situations may change here from 
uh, couple to couple or whatever. But you may have to ask forgiveness. And if they're saved, they can help you pray for God's will to be done. And then expect it to take some time. Proverbs 18 and verse 19 says, A brother or a partner offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. You know, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some real prayer. Fervent prayer. I read where one man waited three years for an opportunity to be reconciled with his wife. And during those years, he faithfully visited his children and fulfilled his financial responsibility to the family. And one day, a problem developed with one of the children. And while working out the problem, he was reunited with his wife. It will take some time. It may take months. It may take years. Now again, we could say a lot more on each one of these, but we want to move on this morning to the second point, and that is God's response to divorce. God's response to divorce. Well, we've already said it a number of times. He hates it. So why does God hate divorce? Well, number one, it breaks the plan of God. God's plan, again, is one woman, one man, united together, stay together until death do they part. Period. That's God's plan. From the beginning, remember what it said in Matthew, from the beginning it was not so when they asked him about uh, Moses uh, granting divorces. Who granted the divorce? Well, Moses did because of the hardness of their hearts. But it was not God's plan. Secondly, it breaks the picture of God's love. And we talked about this when we talked about Ephesians chapter 5. Are you glad that God didn't divorce you when you were unfaithful? When you sin, aren't you glad that God says, I don't want anything more to do with you? I'm going to break my relationship with you? I've been unfaithful to the clear teaching of God's word multiple times. and You have too, you know it. But he loves you and he loves me with an unchanging, undying, unconditional love. And so divorce breaks the picture of God's love. Thirdly, it breaks the promises of the couple. All the wonderful vows that you give at the wedding, you know, to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I shall keep myself for you as long as we shall both live. I don't know if we had a show of hands, how many of you said those vows this morning? I would say most all of you who are married here said something very similar to that. Now, did you mean it? Was it a promise that you're going to keep? Those are wonderful vows, but unfortunately entered into many times so lightly and glibly. People don't even think about what they are saying. Divorce breaks the promises of the couple. Fourthly, it breaks the power of marriage. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. We remember the, the, uh, the uh, illustration I gave to you of the laminated beams or laminated wood glued together. Just think about that again. That's the picture of what marriage is. It's a power of gluing two things together, and when it's pulled apart, there's going to be a tearing apart, and it's going to be damage that's done. And if you know the heartache and the pain that goes with breaking up of a marriage. And then it breaks the product of marriage. The product of marriage is a family. 
And when a divorce takes place, then you have a broken family. Just think of the words. Just think of those two words. Broken family. Maybe some of you are from a broken family. It's not what God intended. And so God hates divorce. Divorce is never the answer. It produces hurt. It produces tears. It produces scars. It nullifies the living illustration of Christ in the church. It damages the Christian testimony where Scripture says that God's grace is sufficient for just some things. No. Anything. Anything. It indicates that the person initiating the divorce is practicing self-centeredness. It indicates that a person is not practicing forgiveness. Oh, but you, pastor, you just don't know the situation I've been living in. Well, we must understand what Jesus Christ did for us. He died for us on Calvary's cross, the perfect dying for the imperfect. And so God hates it. And it's never the answer. Now notice with me, in closing, God's remedy for marriage. I don't want you to look back in Malachi chapter 2. In Malachi chapter 2, the first thing I want you to remember is remember the covenant established as a husband and wife. Remember the covenant. Now, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Now, if you look those two words up in the dictionary, you'll find some very similar meanings to both of them. But a contract can be broken. A covenant cannot be. In our text, in Malachi, it talks about how they broke the covenant. Verse 14. The covenant in the Bible was a set of promises that people made to each other. And the promises that you made as a husband or wife is a covenant. God says, listen. Remember your promises. Don't be rash to to, to make that promise. And that's why you must take caution when you make them. Remember the covenant that you made with your husband or your wife. God is a witness to it. You are a witness to that covenant. And the people who came to your wedding were a witness to that covenant. Isn't that a cute couple up there? You know, they really haven't changed much. Remember the companionship of husband and wife. Remember the companionship. The word in the Hebrew in this passage is the idea of union or partnership. When you get married and your spouse, uh, you and your spouse become a unit. You become the best friends. Your closest and dearest friend should be your spouse. And in that relationship, don't break that wonderful, unique companionship that you have with your husband or wife through divorce. Remember that companionship of your husband and wife. This week, my, I took my wife to the cities to uh, uh, kind of be nursemaid to my daughter who has the four boys that they're adopting. And those four boys from age five months to five years can be a real handful. And when you're sick, it really becomes not just a handful, it becomes two handful. And so my wife went to help her. I took her on Tuesday and I came back home so I could get some work done here. And so I was by myself for two or three days. I survived. You know, I can, I can cook. I did some cooking. 
I can clean. I kept the kitchen clean. I even did some laundry. But you know what I did? I missed the companionship. I missed the companionship. You know, maybe, maybe you, uh, someone here this morning is divorced. Maybe your partner is gone. Uh, maybe uh, they're with the Lord. And you miss the companionship. And I want you to think about that this morning as we think about marriage. Remember the covenant. Remember the companionship. And then thirdly, remember the character of yourself. Now, oh, uh, that's not the kind of character I meant. I know some of you married characters. I know my wife did marry a character. She's been living with pain for 43 years. But the kind of character we're talking about here is the character it talks about in verse 16. Take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your own character. In divorces, we talk about the innocent party, the one who was unfaithful and all those kinds of things. But you know what? It takes two to make a marriage, and it takes two to break a marriage. And so remember the covenant, remember the companionship, and remember your character. Now in Psalm 106, in verse 13 through 15, it says, They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. You know what? You may want something so bad that God will say, Okay, you want it? I know it's not the best for you, but I'm going to allow it. I submit to you this morning that Moses allowed the children of Israel to get a divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. I believe multitudes of people could tell you that divorce causes leanness of the soul. And I speak these words as words of warning. Even as Malachi tells us here, take heed. Those are words of warning. Take heed. I'm talking to adults this morning. I'm talking to some young people. Talking to people that have been married. Some of you have perhaps been divorced. Some of you have been married a short time. Some others a longer time. Some of you are not married. But you think, well, I hope to be someday. Let me just encourage you. As, even as God's word says, take heed to your spirit. I'm so thankful that we, are, we have a forgiving God who can forgive us even in a divorce situation, who can forgive the person who has sinned, sins of immorality. And sometimes we talk about keeping ourselves pure. But what, what if I lost my purity? Do you know what? You can repent, you can confess, and you can forsake it. And you can turn and live a pure life for the rest of your days. Now, when we do that, many times there are consequences to our sins. God can restore us, though, to a blessing because our heart's desire is towards Him. And we can still live for Him. We may have to be suffering some consequences. You know, if people get a divorce and then they get remarried, well... The damage is done, but there can be forgiveness. God will forgive. You can forgive, but you have to live with the consequences. And that's what happens many times with sin. 
we have to live with the consequences. But we know here that divorce is one of the things that God's, God hates. Now, one of the things that my wife doesn't like is when I use her as an illustration. But I'm going to ask my wife to join me this morning. This is probably one of the things that she was thinking about when she first, we first got married, and I told her I wanted to be a pastor. And she said, well, I just don't know if I can be a pastor's wife. Well, I'm thankful she finally got that right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're so thankful for God's blessing over 43 years. And we want to continue to live for him. And I don't know about you, but we're going to kneel here in prayer. And if there's someone that wants to join us and commit their life, no matter what your situation, maybe you're a young person who anticipates marriage, and you'll say, by God's grace, I'm going to live for God, and I'm not going to get a divorce. I'm going to marry the right person. Will you join us in prayer this morning?